Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. If, if you haven't been with us, Richard just finished preaching through Malachi, and uh, he's, he's started a new series in Jude, and he's given me the opportunity just to pick some passages and, and preach um, uh, where I was feeling led. And I wanted to, over the next few times, uh, preach through the Elijah narrative that's in 1 Kings. And so today we're going to start with 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you want to, please turn with me in your Bibles there, or you can look in your bulletin. We're going to read all of chapter 17. It's 24 verses, and I would ask, I mean, it's easy to tune out during this time, but no, these are the most important words that I will say that you will hear all day, because these are the words of the Lord. And so let's follow along in 1 Kings chapter 17, in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And, he went, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And she was going to bring it. He called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that no breath was left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him up, or he took him from her, from her arms, and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged, and he laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, 
You've brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please meet with us this morning. Bless the preaching of your word, Lord. May you conform us into the image of Christ. Help us to turn away from idols and to turn to you, the only living and true God. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, as you can see, there's a, there's a lot in this passage. We're not going to be able to go into everything in great detail, but we are going to go through and, and look at a few points. You know, when you're reading through Kings, you've got to know that you're coming to a history, or the history of the people of God, that have come out of, out of slavery, out of Egypt. God has performed many mighty deeds, signs, and wonders. He's fed them manna from heaven, water from a rock. And we've seen their constant fall back into idolatry. And then you see, as you read through the Scriptures, that um, the Lord sends judges into the land to save the people. And when the, ju- when the judges were living, the people would do right, if you will, and follow the Lord. But when the judges died, it says they would do what was right in their own eyes. So the judges could not bring any lasting change. And then after that, they rejected God's rule over their lives and they asked for a king. And there's nothing really wrong with kings, but the Lord was their king. And they had rejected Him. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted someone that they could see and touch. They wanted a visible ruler as some sort of a glorified comfort blanket or lucky rabbit's foot. So the Lord gave them a king. Many kings. And that's what we see when we read through the book of First and Second Kings. We see uh, after the, the reign of Solomon, because of his sin, the kingdom was split in two. And, and, and so you have this um, constant story throughout First and Second Kings, or, or these narratives that tell us about one of the kings from the southern kingdom, Judah, and, and the kings from the northern kingdom, Israel. And you see, if you see, you, you'll notice that there are no good kings that ever come out of Israel. You know, a good and godly king is hard to find. Every now and then in Judah, one would raise up. But in Israel, there was none that were good. It starts with the sins of Jeroboam. We see Jeroboam, he, he was an Israelite king who set up two altars, two golden calves, as if that worked back in, at Sinai. He set up two golden calves for the people to worship so they wouldn't go back down to Jerusalem and he wouldn't lose his power. And so there we see that the leadership is is faulty. It is not godly. And then you read throughout 
the narrative and you see that, that, that it just gets, it gets worse and worse and worse. People, these kings, follow in the sins of Jeroboam until we get to the passage today. And what Johnny read, Ahab is now the king of Israel and he's more wicked than any king before him. He's vile. His wife, Jezebel, is exceedingly wicked. They've set up state-sanctioned Baal worship in Israel. State-sanctioned idolatry. And so that's where we find ourselves. This wicked king and his exceedingly wicked wife worshiping idols in the land of God. What an affront to the living God. What an affront. And this is the stage that's set for the entrance of Elijah. We know nothing about his upbringing. We're not told who his parents are. And if you know from Scripture who your parents are means a lot. If we know anything in the Delta too, what family you're from, like that, that can mean a lot in a small town community. That would mean a lot in the biblical days. Normally people were introduced through their lineage, not Elijah. He bursts onto the scene. He's just, a, he's just a man, a prophet from the rock country of Tishbe. We may not know much about his past, but we know a lot from his name. And this is why I named my son Elijah. Because he may, uh, God forbid, he turn away and go after the world. Um, but there's one thing. His name means my God is Yahweh. And if he ever looks into that meaning, I hope that, that the Lord would stir him up. But that's what the name Elijah means. My God is Yahweh. Or Yahweh is my God, however you want to say it. So he's a prophet that's come from God and he's for God. He's a covenant prosecutor that's to bring Israel's sins before her and call her to repentance. What a mercy that the Lord would send the prophets. Elijah's here to speak for God and let the people know who he is. So as we'll see today from our passage, we'll see specifically, this is just an intro to Elijah's, uh, Elijah's ministry. There's many more things to cover throughout the weeks, but as we'll see today, we'll see who, God's, who's, uh, who is Elijah's God. He's the Lord over all creation, and He's the Lord over life and death. So the first point, God is the Lord over all creation. Elijah's burst onto the scene. He's come into Israel and he's come to face the most wicked man and powerful man in all Israel. Basically to say Yahweh is God, not Baal. See, Baal was known as the storm god to these people. This is who they prayed to to bring the rains and bring fertility. We would know a little bit about needing rain, being in a farming community. I mean, that's what we were in. This was an agrarian society and they needed the rain to provide crops. And so they prayed and, and sacrificed and worshipped Baal. And, and Elijah's there to say, Yahweh is God, not Baal. I'm here to tell you that Yahweh controls the rain and the seasons, not Baal. And it's not going to stop raining, or it's about to stop raining until I say otherwise is what Elijah was going for. He's, he's going to Ahab and he says, it's not going to rain until I say otherwise. 
And I love this. This this is God showing out. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. He's constantly showing Himself to be the the one true and living God. Because we see in in, in, uh, the the Egyptian captivity, the people worshipped Pharaoh and his heart. They They believed his heart was deity and God turned his heart to stone. And remember, they wanted to worship the Nile goddess and God turns the Nile into blood. And here the people, they want to worship Baal and think that Baal provides the rain, so get ready for a drought. God will not be trifled with. He plays second to no one and no thing. And this drought that the Lord sends, it sends not not only to show Him to be sovereign, but to show Him to be true to His Word. As Johnny also read in Deuteronomy, we know in chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17, that the Lord had told the people that when they go into the land, if they go after other gods, that He will withhold rain. And so He's showing Himself to be faithful to His Word for, for blessing or for cursing. God does not lie. Also, as a side note, earlier in our passage, we see that the Lord, um, that Hale of Bethel had built Jericho. He rebuilt Jericho. And back 500 years before that, the Lord said, if anybody tries to rebuild Jericho, it'll be at the cost of his firstborn and his youngest son. And that happened. 500 years later, Hale tries to rebuild Jericho, and, and exactly what God said would happen, happened. God is true to his word. So he promised that he would withhold the rain if the people served other gods. And surely Elijah had these verses in mind. Surely he knew the Scriptures. And this is what he was praying. God, your people, they've gone after other gods. Uh, be, Be true to your word. Withhold the rain that they would turn back to you. Surely that's what Elijah was thinking. So we see him confront Ahab and say there's not going to be any rain until I say so. And then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and it sends him away to the Cherith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You know, I believe God was protecting Elijah uh, in in this case because he's confronted Ahab. And and as we'll read later in Kings, Jezebel, uh, Ahab's wife, she was slaughtering the prophets of God. And so this way God's sending him out to this brook He's to live by faith, but he's also protecting Elijah from Ahab and from Jezebel. I also think it was a teaching and testing moment for Elijah. The Lord wants him to go live at this brook. And think, a a brook is eventually going to run out in this drought, but he wants him to go live at this brook, to drink from the brook, and be fed by the ravens. And this blows my mind. It's It's easy to read these stories and to think that You know, this is just some fanciful, poetic language. But God sent birds to feed this man. He told Elijah that the ravens would be feeding him. And just think for a moment, put yourself in that situation. How many of us would be ready to give up if he says, go and live down by the Yazoo, there's a drought, you need to drink from it, and some ravens are going to bring you your food? That would... I think most of us, including myself, would would want to give up right there. But Elijah obeyed the Lord. And these unclean, scavenger-type birds brought him bread and meat twice a day. God was causing these birds providentially to bring him food. Birds that would normally fight over food are actually sparing some for a man. 
If it were up to nature alone, it would never have happened. But we know the Lord is the Lord over all creation. The Lord holds the king's heart in the palm of his hands. Not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from the word of our Lord. And we know that all things work together for good for those who are loved by God and and called according to His purpose. The Lord provides. He does what it takes to provide for His servants. And I think it's important to notice that Elijah didn't grumble about this food that he was given. That was coming from the beak of an unclean bird that probably ate roadkill. Quite unlike Israel that complained when they received manna from heaven. And I'm sure we can all attest to God's constant provision in our own life, yet we often find ourselves siding with the wilderness generation and grumbling and complaining about where we are, where God has us, and we don't have enough or we don't have this or that that this other person has. We must fight against this sin. Elijah's there, being fed by the ravens, drinking from the brook, being, being cared for by the Lord, and he's not grumbling. We need the Lord's help to praise him in all circumstances. And Elijah stayed at the brook until it ran dry, but the Lord was not done with him yet. You know, it wasn't enough just to send him into seclusion and be fed by these wild animals by drinking from the brook. Now the Lord has told him to arise and go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon. And you think Baal worship is bad in Israel, in Samaria. He's going to Phoenicia, Baal Central Station, if you will. This is the land of Jezebel, where her wicked father was king. And the Lord is sending Elijah right into the furnace. The word Zarephath actually means refinery, which is... Very interesting. He is sending Elijah into the refinery, into the smelting place, to burn away the dross, to teach and to test Elijah, but he's also sent him there for another purpose. For the good of a pagan widow. Elijah was commanded by God to go into enemy territory and live off the rations of a poor widow. You know, he meets her at the city of the gate and she's carrying sticks there and she says she's going, she's gathering these sticks so she can go home and cook a meal for for she and her son so they can die. This is a last meal that this woman's out there preparing and here Elijah is the nerve to ask her for water. But the Lord has told him to do so. And how did she respond? She went to fetch him water in a drought. She surely didn't have much. But Elijah didn't stop there. He asked her to bring a cake. And I was just thinking here, oh, the nerve of Elijah to ask this poor widow who's making this last meal for she and her son, not only is he asking for water, but he says, bring me a cake. And that's where we see her. She she tells him, "I've, I've baked nothing. I have a little oil and a handful of flour. I'm about to cook it for my son and I, and I'm gonna we're gonna die. And this could hardly be a more bleak situation for this lady. She and Elijah are here in the refinery of God, the smelting place of God, left to rely on His Word, the Lord's Word, against all odds. What does Elijah tell her when she says, I I can't do this, I have just a little, I'm going to make it for my son and I? Elijah says, do not fear. 
Go and make the cake. First give me some, for the Lord has said, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord, where he sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And the Lord did exactly what he said. And the oil and the, and the flour never ran out. What a miracle. A, a supernatural provision from the Lord of creation. We see here again that the word of the Lord proves true. He's provided for Elijah twice. We see this from the ravens and then from this widow. And now he's multiplying this oil and this flour for the widow. And the story could stop there. It's just this great, happy story, right? They both go on to live happily ever after. But the refining process is not finished. Tragedy strikes the household. And this is the moment that we see that God, this is our second point, that God is the Lord over life and death. He's the Lord over creation, and He's the Lord over life and death. In verses 17 and 18, we see that the mistress of the house's son became ill, and he died. And up to this point, we just know her as the widow, but right here, this word mistress, that's translated mistress in our English language, if you go back and look at the original language, this, this word uh, is, is Bela. That's her name. She's named after this false god that they've been worshiping. This lady is, a, is an idol worshiper. And not only that, it's used to speak of a sorceress. So, we see that um, Elijah is in the home of a Baal-loving sorceress. And ironically enough, she is showing more love and hospitality to Elijah than most Israelites would have in that day. And this mistress of the house, her son gets ill and dies. And the death of her son leads her to ask Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. You know, this woman was already, arguably, at the lowest point of her life, preparing to die. But here her son precedes her in death. She had helped the prophet of Yahweh. She had given him water. She had obeyed. She had given the, the, the oil and the, and the flour and she had made cakes and given it to the prophet. And this is the repayment that she's going to get. Her son dies. She automatically goes where most people naturally go when disaster strikes. Surely it's because of some sin in her life, she thinks. God is punishing her. You know, when we get the phone call late at night or the unexpected diagnosis, and I know we've had that many times throughout the past years in this congregation alone, we normally ask, what have I done to deserve this Lord? I have served you faithfully. I have done this and that, and this is what you've done for me. This is normally where we go. This is humanity's natural response to tragedy. But when we go there, we show that we don't really understand who we are and what we really deserve. And it shows our misunderstanding of the character and purposes of God. We forget that the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
The psalmist says in Psalm 116 and 119 that he was brought low that the Lord might save him. That he was, it was good that he was afflicted that he might learn the Lord's statutes. The Lord will take us into the refinery to draw us closer to himself and make us wholly reliant upon him and his word. This woman is thinking that God is exacting payment from her at the cost of her son. As if his death could atone for her. But what God was really doing is drawing her in. See, the prophet takes the boy up. Elijah takes the boy up in his arms and he goes up into the room and he cries out to God. Oh Lord my God, you've brought calamity upon the widow by killing her son. And then he lays himself upon the boy three times and he cries out to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And here are some of the most amazing and encouraging words in all the Scriptures. It said, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again and he was revived. Think about that for a minute. The Lord listened. And the Lord acted. You know, in the book of James, Elijah and his prayers are used as an encouragement for us to pray. Elijah was of a nature just like us. He wasn't superhuman. Yes, he was a prophet, but he was a man just like us. And he prayed to God based on God's promises. And the Lord listened and he answered. Don't think that your prayers are useless and stop at the ceiling. Pray to the living God who hears and acts on behalf of His people and is true to His Word. And the Lord brought the child back, back to life, and Elijah delivered him back to his mother. And you think of the reception that must have happened in that moment, that her dead son goes up into this chamber and he comes back down alive. Elijah hands the son over to the mother. And get what the sorceress of Baal says. She says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is an unbelievable statement coming from a pagan. I mean, think of the irony. You have the king of Israel, Ahab, who is doing everything. I mean, it's a hobby for him to disobey the Lord. And you have this former sorceress of Baal honoring Yahweh as God and obeying his word, taking care of his prophet, while the king of Israel is neck deep in idol worship. And then think about this too. Think of, uh, or, or uh, I, hope, I hope we can see this, the great love that the Lord has for the outcast and the sinner. Of all the places in the world that he could have sent Elijah, he sent him down to, to a down and out, idol-worshiping, sorceress, uh, Baal lover. This widow. And he performs two amazing miracles and confirms his word to her. Then he raises her son from physical death. And in that process, he raises her from spiritual death to spiritual life. This was a moment of salvation for the widow in her household. And so we've got to see that. That the Lord loves the sinner and the outcast. He goes after them. He seeks them. And all of this was preparing Elijah 
for the coming showdown with Ahab, which we'll get to in the coming weeks. But this leads us to where we'll close. As John read from the New Testament, we see that, um, just to make a connection between this story and Jesus. In Luke's Gospel, we see that Jesus uses this story of Elijah and the widow to to show the, the Pharisees and the scribes his love for the outsider. And you could, say, you could argue that the gospel of Luke is, is that. The Lord came to seek and to save the lost, and you see his love for the outcast. And Jesus, after the scroll is, is unrolled, and, and they read Isaiah 61, he stands up. This would Nobody do this. Only Jesus can do something like this. But he stood up and he said, today in the hearing of this, this has been fulfilled. He was saying that this prophecy in Isaiah 61, that's talking about me, Jesus. And the people began to mumble and poke at him, saying, isn't this just the carpenter's son? Isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? And then in Luke 4, 24-30, he reminds them that a prophet is not acceptable in his own hometown. And he reminds them of Elijah being sent to this widow of Zarephath during the drought instead of to the widows of Israel. And the people were so provoked to anger that they wanted to push Jesus off a cliff. They had a vision of what they thought God ought to do and what His Messiah ought to be like. And Jesus shattered their expectations. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to conquer the enemy by giving His life on a bloody cross. You know, we may hear this story of the prophet and hear of God performing these great signs for this widow And we read of Elijah praying and God listening, and we think, well, that's good and great for Elijah, but that hasn't been my experience in Christianity. But we have to remember that Jesus is ours, and we are His by faith. And Jesus is greater than Elijah. You know, Elijah brought the news that the oil and the flour wouldn't run out, but it was ultimately God's doing. And then you think of what Jesus did in in, in the gospel narratives. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus multiplied fish and loaves and fed thousands on multiple occasions. John says that all the things that Jesus did, like all the books in the world couldn't contain everything that he did. Jesus is greater than Elijah. You know, Elijah prayed to the Lord and the rain stopped, but Jesus himself spoke directly to the winds and calmed the storm. Jesus walked on water showing that he's the Lord over creation. And then we think of the, the, the resurrection narrative that, that Elijah raising this boy from the dead. The major difference between Elijah and Jesus regarding raising the dead is Elijah called out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, you raised this boy. But remember, Jesus spoke directly to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out. Jesus would speak directly to those that he would raise from the tomb, showing himself to be God in the flesh, whose word is powerful and proves true. And we all, like this woman, we know that our sin deserves death. She believed that this sin of hers cost her her son's life. But little did she know that the only life that could atone for her sin was the son of God's life. He's the only one that could make payment for sin. 
Jesus took on flesh and became the God-man, living a far more obedient life than Elijah ever could dream of. Jesus always did what pleased the Father. He never sinned. And then He went to the cross and took our sin upon Himself and paid for our sin, taking the wrath of God upon him, Himself for sin. And we could be set free and welcomed in by grace through faith. So we may not see the miracles that the widow saw that day, though it could still happen. God can do whatever He pleases. But we may not see, uh, you may not open the cabinet and, 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 and your bread that was a half a loaf yesterday is now a full loaf. But I would argue that we have something greater. We have the good news of Jesus Christ fully revealed. They were still believing the gospel in the Old Testament, but it wasn't fully revealed. It was still hidden. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ fully revealed, and we can see the miracle of the new birth and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Though they still had to be born again and the Spirit was still active in the Old Testament days, there's greater measure in the New Testament days, and that's what we have. The Lord is still the one who is sovereign over creation, working all things together for the good of His people. He is still the one who will bring His people into the refinery to burn away the dross of unbelief and to strengthen our faith even through the pain. He is the God who hears and answers prayer. And He sought each one of us out like He did the widow at Zarephath. And He's seeking those around us through our preaching of the gospel. He is the Lord of life and death. He is the Lord over all creation whose word proves true. So believe in Him and take Him at His word. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, thank You so much for this testimony. The testimony of Your faithful prophet, Elijah. The testimony of this widow who was obedient even in her trials. Lord, help us to see your love for those that are lost, for sinners. Help us to not forget that we are, we are all sinners in need of your grace. And you've called us out of darkness and into your light. Please help us today. Conform us into your image. In Christ's name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.